Hello, everyone. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, as well as non-binary folk, it's your boy, Chris. We have Kyle over there. We also have Matt Dunford. Welcome to the Chris and Kyle podcast. Uh, Chris and Kyle podcast. such a D-bag. Why would you want him on the show? You know what? We pulled some strings. We uh, owed some favors, (laughs) did some things, and now we have uh, Matt Dunford. But really quick, I am Chris. I have always been Chris. I will always be Chris, at least I hope. I am Chris. Uh, he's beneath me now. This is the layout right there, down below me. That is a. Uh, that is. Is that Kyle? That's that's Kyle. What's what's going on? I might not be Kyle in like five years, unlike you. I might be someone completely different. Who knows? I might be a cheetah. Oh my goodness! And then, of course, wearing the awesome Spider-Man shirt and the sunglasses is our guest today, Matt Dunford. Matt, they know a lot about me. They know a lot about Kyle. Why don't you? quickly tell us who you are the spiel okay who i am well besides matt dunford you might know me as uncle dunphy or the dunf but you know i've uh, done a lot of stuff in my time um i'm known as a uh, pretty big comic book dork and so that's taken me a whole lot of places i served as for five years as uh, board president of uh, little fish comic book studio san diego's comic education studio um i was senior mm-hmm. editor of cementing publishing overseeing their line of intellectual properties for about three years when i was there um i still go in this uh, nice little role as a chairman of san diego comic fest i've been called the world's youngest comic book historian i have read more than fifty thousand comics in my time and just you know i can't stop and i don't make a whole lot of time for it um you might know me as that guy who cosplays as weird al at comic conventions and annoys oh, everyone yes. um and of course, you may have seen my Dale Gribble as well, and of Ernest and Professor Kakui, and I like to cosplay as really dorky characters. And I've got this hobo beard going on. Um, and then also, you know, served as a, a PR and marketing director of uh, Critivo, did, did that for half a year. Like right now, it's just been, you know, stuck at home with a lot of my comics, living the hobo life. I guess hey, I'm you... doing a little of that these days. Did you now have plenty of time to read all the comics right yeah. now? Like, I have all 100 issues of the IDW Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle series. I'm like, now's the time. Now's the time to read it. But, yes, as you can tell, Matt Matt it's knows his comics. It, but it's like, what, what's weird is I've actually been cleaning my house for the past 10 days. And it's just like, <laughs> it never stops because I realize I'm never at home to clean because I'm always out and about doing something. And now right. there's no out and about for me to do. It's like, now or never – now or never man there it is get it done so yeah matt matt as you can tell based off his introduction he knows his comics he is thoroughly educated with comic books my uh my first memory of matt dunford was when i met him i was wearing a but do i have it on right now actually i do i had this exact spider verse shirt on here and when i met him i believe it was our friend kurt that introduced me he's like this is matt Matt just looks at me and he looks at my shirt and he's like, I can name every single Spider-Man on your shirt and their first appearance. And I was like, go for it. And he literally went through every single one and named every single first appearance of them. So needless to say, once again, Matt knows his comic books, especially his Spider-Man comics. So we're going to start this off with a little history lesson on each one of us, but our fondest, or I should say our first first comic book experiences kyle what was either the first comic series you collected or first comic book you remember reading first comic book series i collected was probably and i wish i still had it uh 
It probably wasn't even a comic. It was manga. It was the original Dragon Ball series. I started collecting that before anything comic related. But it wasn't until, I would say, after watching X-Men animated uh, series back in the 90s that I wanted to start picking out a few comics here and there. And I remember uh, that I just had, like, a random box of comics that I got from, like, either a swap meet or something. I forget where, but this was kind of, like, my base collection. This is what I built off of, this this box that I got, like, a swap meet one day. And I remember it had a lot of... Um, a lot of old Claremont's, or not Claremont, a lot of old, uh, a little bit of uh, Jim Lee uh, artwork from the 90s X-Men, some of that, a lot of a lot of those, um, and a lot of like X-Factor were like kind of my bigger collections. And, I, I, and again, this collection came from just like, I'm going to buy this box that someone's selling for like 20 bucks of random comics. And it kind of nice. just grew from there. But yeah, and that's kind of where my love of X-Men uh, came from, too, is these early early comics that I got from this random box, more or less. Nice, um, That's nice. kind of like my origin story for the most part. Oh, shit, showing off the... What did the, you just do? What's up? Oh, oh. Can you you're fix show- that, Kyle? Well, that while you're showing off your screen, I will have a... Oh, I don't know. That's actually, not me. I, I messed up on that because I was actually kind of doing a riff. Okay, let me stop sharing. Okay. Someone started, you can there show you us. go. Okay, okay. I was like, like what I, just happened? I was just kind of like doing a, I was just doing a quickie reference point so I could uh, have a little uh, thing in my thing. I mean, I don't hop on Skype very often, but uh, yeah, I was about to tell my uh, origin story of how I got into comics. Let's do it, Matt. I want to hear okay. yours next. So, yes. There was a period in time... Before I uh, got into comics, and there was this uh, interesting thing where, I mean, I was always uh, kind of obsessed with pirates as a little boy. So, you know, I watched Peter Pan 50 billion times a day, and then um, I, you know, I played with Lego pirates. Uh, Lego pirates were my jam. And so one day uh, my parents got me, um, wait, uh, no, that's a little preemptive. Uh, they got me this uh, Lego pirate set that had a yeah, comic. I did it again. But uh, Cap, which was uh, Captain Redbeard and the uh, Gold Doubloons. And so um, I, I read that comic first, and I read that in, like till it fell apart. But the thing is, I could not read at the time, so I would ask my parents to read it for me over and over okay. and over again. So, like, and they literally taught me how to read just so I could read this Lego Pirate comic. And my dad thought, okay, he was actually reading now. Let's go to, you know, let's get him some children's books. So he takes me to Toys R Us. And then at the... Uh, then as I'm walking through one of the toy aisles, I spy something. It was the most shiny, beautiful thing that I'd ever seen in my entire life. It was this holographic cover of a Spider-Man comic. Spectacular mm-hmm. Spider-Man 189 with that cool hologram cover. I think you can see it now on the uh, screen sharing. But it's so uh, it was so cool to see now and I just told my dad, like, I need that. I need that. I need that. And so I... I begged him to buy me that set, and it was the 30th anniversary of Spider-Man, which was in 1992, and I it had 30 issues of Spider-Man in there, and I just mm-hmm. read those things until they fell apart, and that's what gave me my love affair with Spider-Man, and I just started reading Spider-Man from there, and I mean, I just thought Spider-Man was so cool, and I was like, you know, getting into all this stuff, and it's like, of course, it was... Then we go into, you know, 1993 with some weird stuff. 1994 led us into the Clone Saga. And I was like, wait, Peter Parker isn't really Peter Parker? Cool. But I was the only person on Earth who thought that was cool. And so 
Ben Riley during that. I enjoyed the Clone Saga. I was I, one of those people that was like, everyone hated it, but I was like, I didn't, I didn't mind it too much. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I didn't like the length. That's for sure. They yeah, I mean, it stretched different. out pretty long. But the whole thing is like, you know, for me, Ben Riley was my Spider-Man in the comics, and that's mm. you know, signed by okay. me. And then on November nineteenth, nineteen ninety-four was the premiere of the Spider-Man animated series. And I, I thought I was in Spider-Man, like, obsessive mode. No, when I saw that, that pushed me into overdrive. And that is what really gave me, like, you know, my Spider-Man fandom. It's like, after seeing that, I was, like, jumping off the walls, and I told my parents, it's like, you know, right. take me to Toys R Us right now. I need Spider-Man toys. I need Spider-Man toys. Nice. And I got Web Shooter, Spider-Man, and the Kingpin. They were my first Spider-Man action figures. And, of course, um, well, they're in the other room, but I, ha- I still have them to this still day. Still have them. Okay. Nice. Nice. That's a that's a hell of an origin right there, Matt. I like that. Right. I like that. I also like how you uh, you brought out the Ben Riley Spider-Man. Because, like, so with my origin, it's slightly similar. What's funny is with comics, the, actually the very first comics I remember reading, and y'all might laugh at it, Comics in the newspaper. I used to read Garfield. I used to read Dilbert. I used sure. to read all those like basic. Oh, yeah. That was like my first first exposure. I would I would to say comics. the same thing. I completely yeah, I would say the same thing too. It's like, I didn't really, but for me, it's like I never thought of them as comics. Yeah. They were yeah. newspaper strips, but like having exactly. something pulled in your hand is yeah. something tangible. Is the the comic in itself? Yeah. Where so it's with me, like. From a, like yeah, yeah go ahead. I mean, the whole thing is where we get the whole comic book form is, yeah. yes, from the newspaper things. Yeah. I mean, 20 pages number one uh, from the 1920s was the first comic, and that was, if you, the size of a comic book is when you fold a newspaper in half, and so you save on half the printing, and that's how, you know, the comic book got its origin. Nice, nice. So, yeah, I started okay. with the uh, newspaper comics, but then after that, like, I did it backwards because I know Matt started with Spider-Man comics and he found the Spider-Man show. I actually – so first two cartoons I remember watching Superheroes were Batman the Animated Series and then the Spider-Man Animated Series. And for some reason, Batman, like I liked it. I bought the toys. But when it came to comics, like I jumped on Spider-Man comics right away. Like I went to this old shop yeah. that's uh, near me. It's called Dreamworld. And I just started buying single issues of Spider-Man. Like, some of them were order, some of them weren't in order. And I was just reading every single one that I could, kind of getting a vibe of the story. And I remember with me, I had the holographic cover, and I wish I still had it. Not holographic, I'm sorry. It's like it's like a thick, thick cover, and it has the armored Spidey on it. And it's really shiny and yeah. all sorts of, okay. like, it's really, like, you mean fucking Spider-Man love the cover. 100? Yes, yes, yeah. I think it was Spider-Man, Spider-Man 100. By yeah, I had that. Yeah. And then I, uh, I got rid of my first original collection, which RIP, I wish I never did that. But no, a lot of Spider-Man. Spider-Man was the first thing I got into. I remember reading Spider-Man nonstop. I fell out of comics for a little while, and then what got me back into it was Marvel Civil War. And that's when I started to collect the Civil War comics and a lot of Captain America. But no, Spider-Man for sure. Very, very first exposure to comics when it comes to superheroes. I love Spider-Man to this day. He's one of my favorites. I got my Spider-Man hoodie on. I got my Spider-Man shirt on. So I can't like Spider-Man. I owe Spider-Man a lot with comics. But yeah, those are are everyone's origin stories, I believe, when it comes to comic books right there, which I think is awesome. And we all started at a similar time. We all can relate with like Spider Man for sure, which I think is great. I feel like I feel like at least our generation, if the comics that like most people started with, I wanna say would probably be Spider Man, probably X Men. For some reason I feel like Marvel was really big. Don't get me wrong, I know DC was big. Like in the early in the early nineties, it's just like those 
the most sought after things are like when you go into those comic stores of the early 90s early 90s yeah. comic stores had this great vibe to them where they would have like you know arcade cabinets inside yeah card stores and so it was like a hand. This, you know craze um where it's like everyone was seeking those jim lee x-men issues and you wanted every single one of them so you could have the poster to put up on your wall and that sort of thing and all the yeah. trading cards to go with it so it was a highly merchandised era in the early 90s when i got started because like i wanted those x-men figures i wanted those x-men cards i wanted like the spider-man uh card set didn't come out till 94 but i mean that one is like my jam and i remember first exposed to that at my first San Diego Comic-Con in 1994, which was mm. the most mind-blowing thing ever. And my story of the first San Diego Comic-Con was, well, I was just watching the X-Men cartoon uh, one morning in August 94, and it's like, so it's like, this weekend, come to the San Diego Comic-Con. I'm like, oh, cool. Hey, Dad, when X-Men ends, can we go, go to that? That looks really cool. And he said, yeah. And so we, my dad takes me and my brothers, we pile in our Volvo station wagon, we drive down to the convention center we park there we buy passes on site and i go inside i'm like something you can't do now <laughs> yeah right and it's like i was absolutely mesmerized by everything that i saw in there and like when i got to the marvel booth there would be some clips of this upcoming spider-man show and then there was this whole um thing with uh, like you know they had the first uncut uh trading card <clears throat> set of the 1994 Marvel masterpiece by Greg Hildebrandt and then the uh and then the 1994 Fleer Ultra Spider-Man set and I got one and it was uh, signed to me, uh you know by some old guy that was there and I'm like wow this is so cool and of course I'm as rise in all this cool stuff I actually found that uh trading card uh that uncut trading card sheet it's signed by a guy named John Romita senior <laughs> that just um, a, a tiny guy a tiny, <laughs> tiny known guy Young Matt is just like, oh, it's just some old guy. Adult yeah, Matt is like, holy shit. Uh, yeah, and then at the end of the day, I left, and like some guys came up to us and said, hey, you guys done with your badges? Can we check them out? I'm like, wow. I'm like, yeah, sure, take them. And like I, like you said, none of that is possible anymore. It's just like to decide to go day of, park yeah. on site, your passes on site, and to give your passes away. Yeah. It's yeah. cray cray to think that that was all possible back in the happen. 90s, and it's a little more of a tricky experience that requires yeah. a little more planning. But it's just like that first Comic Con blew my mind. Yeah, yeah, sure. that's that's an amazing story right there. I can only imagine going to an early Comic Con. It's a whole different demon now, dude. It's wild. It's crazy. But like, I like how you it talk is. a little bit about that era because I feel like that was a particular era of comics when. Is really popping. It was really going crazy. Like you had comic shops. Like there were a lot of them back then, and yeah. everybody wanted to go to them. They were right. such a great appeal. You'd go in there. You know, he mentioned arcade cabinets. Yeah, you'd yeah, go yeah. in there. You'd find trading cards. You'd find all sorts of great stuff in there. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is so we're going to talk about the state of the comic book industry, the direction that we feel it's going to take, and how I think Matt, Matt, yeah, Matt's over there. How we felt. We feel. I personally feel like this might be the nail in the coffin for at least yep. the paper con for the industry. But to rewind, oh, is that your thing? Hold on, let's so see. Really quick. 1994 uncut trading card set. What it oh, looks like. Oh man, that audio listeners. Holding up a sick thing. Signature. Yeah. Uh, recently, comic stores actually that I go to actually. Uh, some guy went to the 94 Comic Con, never went back, and he had all these like it was like a time capsule. 25 years later from all this stuff. And so I'm like, of course I'm going to buy it. It's like, and here's 
that Greg Hildebrandt. So now I have two of those. And here's a picture of me by the great Jimmy Purcell with me and Nicolas Cage in the uh, throes of love. (laughs) Sure. Of course. (laughs) Yes. Audio listeners, this is one I say you need to watch right now because Matt's showing some legendary stuff right here on screen. Oh, that's awesome. But yeah, Matt, when you stepped away, we were talking about how like the nineties were really cool, like just the nineties in general, there was a feel behind everything. Of course it was a collectible uh driven era because like we all had to have this stuff. And um of course my parents didn't get it, but of course they bought every single action figure for me. And, of course, I didn't get it either because the whole thing is, no, Dad, I need this action figure. I need the Spider-Man one. It's like, you already have that one. No, no, no. It's like it's, it's the same Spider-Man. thing. Matt. No, he's doing that with his hand. He's doing this with his hand. Oh, man. Now, of course. Of course. It's that joke in the Malibu Stacy episode of The Simpsons where Smithers is like, but she's got a new hat. I wanted a one <laughs> Yep. Yeah, so I was bringing it up when you stepped away, man. But essentially, like, we're going to talk about the direction the comic book industry is heading. And, like, I personally feel paper comics might not be around. But before we get into that, this actually isn't the first time, I don't want to say collapse, but the first time the comic book industry is rattled. Because I believe it was in the late 90s, Marvel was actually getting ready to just disappear. And then somebody bought the licensing to make movies. And it was the comic book movie that actually saved Marvel, right? Um, yes and uh, no. Right. So, maybe I mean, a part of it. I yeah. mean, Will Eisner himself, the great Will Eisner, once said, like, oh, the, like when people say, oh, no, Will, the comic industry is going to collapse. He's like, kids, I've been around a dozen times and in the comic industry on the verge of collapse. Never happens. But, you know, when you go back to the, to the 1990s, with what was happening with Marvel, because you're talking about Marvel's bankruptcy in Yes, yes. And I remember seeing that my dad brought this to me because it was on the front page of the newspaper. And it's like, Matt, Marvel Comics is going bankrupt. And I remember it was like the first time in my life I was like, ah, no, like, where am I going to like all my superheroes are going to go away and all this. And but I mean, the whole thing about it is Marvel made some questionable decisions in the 1990s pretty much like you know what the whole thing there is like i said because you know you had these great talented creators in the early in the late 80s and early 1990s that were you know you had jim lee you were Todd McFarlane, you had eric larson you had jim valentino you had their heavy hitter young guns who were doing all this work for them and you know creating all these great characters like venom like deadpool like cable and then, of course, Marvel was, you know, breaking in money hand over fist with all these trading cards and action figures. And those guys felt like, well, where's our cut? And they said, well, they said, it's, it's work for hire. You create for us, but we own that. It's like we get some kind of share, some kind of royalties in Marvel. And of course, so those guys, you know, left to go start in the punk. And that, of course, left a little bit of a hole in Marvel Comics. So the new house style was like anybody who came in there had to draw like one of those guys i mean i've every single x-men artist unless you were joe maduera had to draw like jim lee you had to be a jim lee clone so pretty much it was like an era of jim lee clones for the time but they do things like holographic covers they would do things like embossed covers crazy variant covers anything to get people to buy more stuff but eventually people started seeing through the gimmicks and sales started to lag um but it wasn't just um 
those kind of things. I mean, the comic industry, it, it imploded because of speculators and people that it was, oh, I'm going to take these, you know, these rare issues or these are so-called rare issues and sell them in 20 years and then I'll be, um, they'll be super, you know, valuable. So people like, there's a lot of comic book stores at the time that imploded because they would like X-Men number one was coming out, Spider-Man number one, these number one image comics that were coming out in the early 1990s. Like, say, for example, like X-Men number one by Jim Lee is the highest selling comic of all time with 8 million copies sold. Mm-hmm. Issue number one sold 8 million units. Issue number two sold 1 million units. But the thing is they mm-hmm. ordered People were buying it because, you know, it had five different covers. It had one that had a fold-out poster. It had a Wolverine one. It had the Spider-like one. It had the like So they would buy multiple. And, of course, the speculators thinking, oh, I'm going to buy this and sell it 20 years. Yeah. Be... And, and so comic book stores were left with this overlap of, you know, a bunch of, like, excess issues. And that, of course, caused some problems. So that was like, you know, the Marvel is a little bit responsible for it. Image was a little bit responsible for it. But pretty much the killing blow that caused the comic industry to implode at the time called the death of Superman in 1993. That was uh, the death threat. It's like, like, you know, that was a, you know, very big selling issue. But the subsequent issues after Superman 75 did not sell well. And so comic book stores were left with this excess stock that they couldn't sell. They had, you know, bought all these issues, but they couldn't move them. And so that caused the implosion. And, of course, Marvel felt it first and foremost. So... Marvel had to sell, had to declare bankruptcy in 1995, and so this led to some. The only thing that the company could really do is something they didn't want to do, but they had to earn some revenue, so they had to sell off their movie rights to movie <laughs> studios. So Fox bought X Men and Fantastic Four. Sony bought Spider Man. It's really interesting to see in some of those leaked Sony emails from when North Korea hacked them a couple years ago that. They bought Spider-Man for something like $4 million at the time. They said, you know, for $10 million, you could have all the licenses of Marvel, but Sony was like, now nah, we just want Spider-Man. It's like, mm. all they could steal for the entire, you know, entire industry, but just like, you know, all the different companies bought Marvel properties. And it's just like, you know, they didn't, if you'd ever seen a 1980s Marvel movie, you know why Marvel did not want to do movies again. Yeah. When I've heard the stuff. stories of those. <laughs> sure. Those? And Daredevil and that Captain America movie. Captain they're... America. Oh, I love that oh, one. Oh, yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're not that good. <laughs> yeah. They're so bad. So one thing I want to touch on really quick, Matt, that you were talking about was the resell of comics. And I know it's something I had a discussion with somebody once again. So back in the day, like a Superman number one, a Spider-Man number one, X-Men number one. That had a lot of base value, but then I noticed, and it's happening a lot in this day and age, just buying a number one now isn't guaranteed that you're going to make some sort of profit on it. Now it's like you have five different covers of a number one. You have one by X artist. You have one that's holographic. You have one that's blank, and you can get someone to sketch on it. Do you think that causes some type of issue right now with comics, with the value, with the sale of them? Yeah, so I think that's one of the big problems that we have in the comic industry is people are treating comics like a commodity rather than an entertainment medium. They should read them to read them, not read them to to like you know try and sell them. 
the simple fact is, like, in the past 30 years, there really are not a lot of valuable comic books. The only one that's really of considerable value that's printed in the past 30 years is Walking Dead number one. And that's because it only had, like, you know, four or 500, you know, copies printed. It's valuable because it's rare. Rarity drives value. Like I said, oh, it's a number one issue, so what? But it's got 8 million copies. That's not exactly rare. That's not hard to find. That's not really desirable. And, of course, there are going to be those books that have, you know, wide circulation. Like, say, example, Amazing Spider-Man number 30, you know, first appearance of Venom. That has hundreds of thousands of copies sold, but yet it still sells for, like, you know, four or $500. But, like, it's, it's you know, it's a desirable thing because people don't want to part ways with it. So yeah. that that does play into it. But, um, you know, there's a whole lot of... The problems that I have with it is, you know, comics as a commodity that everyone's like, oh, I got to have this. Like, you know, it's like variant covers, I think, are a problematic thing. And people are like, oh, I got to get this thing. And so they trade around these variant covers that are like, oh, mm-hmm. one in 100 or whatnot. You have to order 100 in order to get this sort of thing. And then people want these variant covers. And they sell them on eBay. And it's like, yeah, I bought this thing for 400 bucks. I'm like, if, if you wait a week, it goes down to like 20 bucks or something. Mm-hmm. It's literally like, scalpers you know flip it while it's hot yeah and that does it because i mean we can harken back to civil war when everybody wanted to hear michael turner covers yeah what one time i paid 100 bucks for a black and white one and now it's like you look on ebay you can find it for eight bucks yeah yeah when i collected civil war i had that problem i bought a few of the variants i got hyped because like i'm gonna get the regular one and then the variant one and then like fast forward to a few years later it's like they're all worth the same yeah, if you want like. stuff that goes up in value, guys, hard covers, hard covers, omnibuses, they don't make that many of them. They're already very valuable, and they go out of print. And so these high presentable ones are the, you know, the pretty ones are the ones that actually do accrue in value. But, you know, it's like a stock market like that people play. Yeah. So it's a buy low, sell high. And, of yeah. course, you never know when, you know, something is going to, you know, pop off or something like the character Null uh, in, like, the Venom series, who, like, you know, he appeared in Thor number six from Jason Aaron, and, of course, like, you know, that was, like, you know, find that book in the dollar bins, but as soon as Null started, you know, popping up in the Venom stuff, all of a sudden that becomes, like, a $200 book, because first appearance of Null, okay, now you yeah. know, or one is coming up in, like, you know, an upcoming Marvel movie, all of a sudden it gets a spike, and people want those issues, like, you know, like crazy and so that's where that kind of stuff comes from but another problem i have with the comic industry is that it's something that was a mass media is now a niche market i ask you guys where did you buy your first comics from a comic shop man comic shop yeah a straight up Uh, comic shop is dream world it still exists, got, but it's not at the same caliber as it was before. I got mine secondhand. You got a secondhand. Yeah. The thing is, some, a lot of people will be like, you know, I got it off a rack at 7-Eleven. Oh, I, like, I got mine at Toys R Us. I got mine at... I like, remember that. There used to be comics for sale everywhere. And, yeah. not just, and now it's just like, you know, at the comic stores or, yeah. you know, at bookstores. Yeah. The whole thing is, it. it's like, I would like to see comics available in more places. And the whole thing is like, and that... You know, having comics in more presence leads to a correlation of, like, increased sales. And some comic stores will be like, well, that would hurt our business. No, no, it leads into more business because it creates more readers. 
Right. And the thing is, I've never read, I've never met a comic fan in my life that has ever been satisfied with their collection. <laughs> Look at me. I no near satisfied with my collection, and I have like a collection that puts most comic book stores to shame. Audio listeners, Matt has a giant bookcase behind him, just loaded That's with hardcover comics. I've so. got. Oh God. This is a five by five. This is a five by five calyx. I've got another four of these in my house. Jesus, okay. man. Okay, okay. Flexing. There's a, there's one more thing I want to touch on really quick before we move on to the next subject, because you were talking about, like, it's becoming this collectible thing. There was actually something that happened recently that caused a lot of issues. So Joker has a new girlfriend, and her name is Punchline. And she recently had a... Yeah, the very first appearance she had, apparently uh, comic shops were having a lot of issues because there were people trying to come in and swarm them just to buy the issue for resale and it was causing problems for the actual readers to want to pick up the comic to read it like i have a friend that works at a comic shop that they pretty much made a notice that like unless we've seen you coming into the shop buying the previous issues we're not going to sell this to you right now for resale like we want people do you think that do you feel like Hmm. The whole collectible trying to make it a commodity like that. Do you think that's ruining it for the people that just want to read comics? To a degree, it does. Because if you just have, you know, scalpers trying to come in, it's like, guys, you don't even know if this character is going to be good. Like, I remember, like, a number of years ago during the New 52, they were introducing the rare hologram foil of Joker's. Everyone was, like, you know, trying to buy up, like, you know, Joker's daughter in advance. And then, like, thinking this is going to be, like, the next big supervillain and all these things. I think issues were selling for, like, a hundred bucks. And then there's, like, this infamous review from Richard Johnson on Bleeding Cool where he's like, all right, here's my review of Joker's daughter. He takes it, puts it in the microwave, and he takes it out, and it's caught on fire. That is my review. And wow. Speculating yeah. on something that wasn't even good. Wow. Yeah. That's wild. Uh, yeah. And, and it's like, you know, the other thing here is like, you know, a couple of years ago, like when you look at Harley Quinn's first comic appearance in Batman Adventures, I mean, you could find that for 15 bucks. And now all of a sudden after like, you know, the, you know, all these, you know, movies and stuff with Harley Quinn coming out now, it's like a $400 book. And so something that just wasn't that valuable before all of a sudden spikes and it's so it does create a desirability for these things but when i think it's like when but it's like if this new character is coming out and this character isn't even historically significant yet is yeah. it really that valuable you you don't you, these are yeah. literally untested waters you yeah. don't know if this book is even good now yeah, These yeah. books become rare. I mean, when you look at older books, Silver Age books, and those things, those books do accrue value because they're printed on cheap newsprint. And so the books do decay. And so if they were preserved, of course, they are going to have some, you know, retaining some value because they are historically significant. And you look at, like, the most valuable comic of all time, which is Action Comics number one. There's less than 30 copies in existence. Initially, it was more than a million seller. But... People didn't know that, of course, it was going to become valuable. I mean, these were just, you know, read and thrown away or, you know, thrown in paper drives during World War II. And so, like, you know, people, the reason, because they, rarity is what drives the value of it and makes it, you know, a stronger find. Damn. All right. Thank you for that, Matt. Matt's got a lot of knowledge. Kyle, before we move on next up, you got any questions related to what we just dropped for Matt? 
Uh, questions. Um, Any comments on what he said? Uh, comments. Uh, the one thing is, uh, unfortunately, you're never going to stop capitalism, so that's not going away. So that's always going to be there. You're always going to get people that are going to flip it, that are always going to find a way to uh, create a profit off of it. Yeah, so, I mean, and I, and I do want there to be comic dealers. I do want them to be the stuff. But it's just like, you know, I want people to, you know, shop smart and shop honest. And I do want people mm-hmm. to you know, be in these comic stores. And, of course, there is always going to be a different thing for people. Like, for me, my jam, Mike, the thing I collect are... Mm are big i I collect hardcovers because i like to display them i like to read them and just open up but of course you know i still do buy single issues i buy them i read them and then i give them away to libraries to kids to hospitals and stuff like that i've never sold a comic in my life with these single issues maybe they'd become maybe one of them would become valuable i don't know i can't say but for me if like if i were to keep them my place would look like a hoarder's nest and (laughs) i've had my fun with them i would rather get another reader out of them I like that. I like that. All right. So moving on now, we come to the present day. It is 2020. As of recording this, it is April 6th. We are currently dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. And I bring this up not just because it's current news, but because it's affecting a lot of businesses. And right now, uh, one of the, I think, is it the only group that distributes comics? Diamond? Are they the only ones that get the comics out into shops? Diamond Distributing? They yeah, Diamond have, Distributing. There are other ways, but Diamond is the key supplier, the majority yeah. supplier to comic yeah. stores in the United States. So yeah. they're the ones who do, you know, keep the flow going. And, of yeah. course, they're the ones who, you know, control the distribution networks throughout the country with major warehouses, one in Mississippi, one in New York, and I believe there's a might be a Long Beach one. And so, yeah. Yeah, so they're uh, they're shut down right now because of the current pandemic, which means nobody can really get access to comic books. And because of this, it seems like a lot of comic book studios are just kind of like, well, we got no real way to get them out right now, so we're going to put a pause. So, Matt, I'm going to ask you right now, dude, how— wh- what do you think this means right now? Like we have Diamond that's not going to be distributing at the moment. We have big companies like Marvel and stuff that are just like, I don't think we're going to make anything right now. And, you know, me personally, I'm invested in this right now because Ninja Turtles just had issue 101. And there's a lot of talks now that that might be the death of the Ninja Turtle comic series. And a lot of people are worried like, hey, a lot of these long running series might be coming to a halt. Like, what do you think? is going to happen right now with the current state of the comic book industry. What do you feel like all of this means? With the current state of it, I mean, it's it definitely COVID has dealt a blow to the comic industry because the whole problem is it I mean, in itself um comics I felt have always just been an evolve or die type situation and I do think that our comics the comic stores that we do have are presenting the lifeblood of our organization and of, you know, because they create the access for readers to get there. And I mean, some stores were, you know, accommodating with the situation. They would offer limited, like, limited uh, days that you could go there. Some of the stores around San Diego were, like, accommodating to doing curbside pickups. You could, like, you know, email the day in advance, you know, pay, you know, a thing online. And then, you know, come to the store, pick up your books, be in, be out. And so that way you still have them. And then, um, you know, some stores were actually even, you know, going so far as doing delivery. 
But then what happened is, you know, Diamond says, well, we have to, you know, shut down things too. And so, I mean, it deals a blow. But recently, uh, just a couple days after that, there's a lot of uh, comics, uh, comic companies that said um, they are going to bypass Diamond and, you know, pursue other routes of getting these books into the stores in order for access. These, uh, like, Boom Studios and IDW Publishing led the charge. IDW said that they're going to make their books 100% returnable, so if they um, so you can get their money back if they don't sell. So that's mm. just what goes to rest about 101 and 102. So Thank God. The show will, must go on. And then DC Comics stepped up to the plate and saying, we will be bypassing Diamond in order to supply our books to uh, to the networks. And I know the whole thing is like, there's been some kind of, uh, there's been a lot of talk over the years because a lot of the dealers have, uh, like publishers and stores have this love-hate relationship with Diamond because it's like, I don't want to say monopoly, but there's like not a whole lot of other options. I mean, you can you know yeah. get stuff like, through Amazon if need be, but that means you're feeding the beast there. And so like, you know, not a lot of people are doing with that. And so and I, mean, I don't like to shop via Amazon. I like to support my mom and shop, my mom and pop comic shops, but um, there's, you know, a lot of things that go on and I'm happy to see that all these publishers are collaborating with the comic stores to get stuff in there. And so, you know, but it just depends on, city by city quarantine laws that go into effect and it does hurt things to a degree and i mean covid overall it's like it does hurt people because you know people are having to get on unemployment they're getting limited hours at their jobs some people are without jobs and these comic stores they rely on people having an extra 20 bucks in their pocket in order to spend on you know some funny books and you know the thing is i'm still doing my part i tried to still make purchases from local stores each week uh you know my stores downtown can just like you know just pay in advance he sees you at the door it's like you know we're all wearing our masks he like slides it through the mail slot and i'm doing a drug deal instead when i should be going inside and having a 45 minute conversation with the guy it just feels weird it's like i go to the store's community and to geek out and have a fun time and when we don't get that no more it's just like in out it's a transaction it's like Right. It sucks, but it's like what we got to do to stay safe. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. I completely agree with you. It's good to hear that some people are still trying to yeah. bypass around everything and get physical comics because that's that's my biggest concern through all of this. Is like there's two big things that's blaring in my head. Is one, will paper comics survive? And even if paper comics survive, two will comic shops be able to survive after this? Because from the looks of it, like most comic shops are really just mom and pop stores. They're really just ran yeah. by people. They're, you yeah, know, independent businesses. Chains, And it's like, you do have to, you know, accommodate things as they are. And so they may not have the capital to go through things. And they do rely on a lot of these big businesses and stuff like that. I mean, there's each comic store has different ways of doing stuff. Some are going to cater more toward the new books those ones are going to be the ones hit the hardest by this sort of diamond thing i mean i know some stores that that don't even have diamond subscriptions they just do old stuff and so when it's just back issue selling um it 
you're not going to be hit as hard by diamond. But the thing is, that's like I said, that's still hitting you is people don't have that extra 20 bucks to spend on books. Right. Until after that. Kyle, any comments? Uh, it's unfortunate. I don't know what's going to happen with a lot of shops. You look at even like Golden Apple here in LA, which is huge. Michael, Michael Jackson used to go buy comics there. <clears throat> they're like they're not even going to survive. They're completely shut down right now. Not even doing deliveries. They tried to do deliveries for a quick minute, and they stopped. So uh, I mean, if they're if they're going to struggle, I don't I don't I don't know I don't know what's going to happen for the others other places like you said they could just uh be a shop that essentially is a collectible shop it's no longer feeding uh new content but you got backlogged stuff um and essentially yeah they just become that collectible store more yeah for me i think the the most tragic thing of this is i'm not going to get my new warriors number one how am I going to know about what happens with Snowflake? I think we're going to be I think we're fine. I don't want to be negative, but I can't get my new Warriors number one. I don't know what Marvel... I, you know, I will say one, actually, and I may be making a bold statement, but there is one good thing that's going to come out of all of this. We won't be seeing new Warriors number one anytime soon. I don't know. Like, I it's... may talk the most trash on that book, but you know, it's like I'm gonna be the. I was gonna be the first one in line to actually buy it. Yeah. yeah just those of you who are listening that don't know what New Warriors is, Matt. Why don't you fill us in very quickly? New Warriors and its uh, okay. uh, cast okay, so, of characters. Um, if you were a kid in the early '90s, the New Warriors uh, uh, were a team of uh, you know teenage superheroes. It was like Marvel's Marvel's version of Teen Titans. And so they were kind of sidekick characters that formed a team in the late 80s, early 90s. Night Thrasher, Firestar, Speedball, Namorita. These were characters, and they had a, a pretty long-going uh, series that was going on. And um, recently, a couple of weeks ago, before the whole COVID was in full swing, they announced that they were doing uh, a... They were doing... A, a retake on the new warriors but with uh some modernized characters and the thing is it's definitely the most diverse lineup it is diverse. because like marvel is introducing their first non-binary character a lesbian uh like indian girl who is plus size and then um a vampire yeah. and it's like you look at these characters and of course one of the names safe space Another is yeah. Screen Time and, and <laughs> yeah. Snowflake, and I'm it's like so out. <laughs> it's like it's just like a team made of millennial stereotypes. It's oh not. It's God. like it's, it's shoehorning so much diversity. Yeah. I don't mind oh, diversity as long as it's it like as as and possible. it's like shoehorn, shoehorn, shoehorn. And it's like I mean I think for characters, yes, it's okay to be lesbian. Yes, it's okay to be black. But do you have are you black with a personality? Are you black and angry? Are you gay? Yeah. And Work, are you this sort of you need characters to have character and not yeah. just yeah. From the shit in. like a diversity of thought not just a diversity of identity yeah, yeah like diver- I, I i was just like thinking back to that like episode of the simpsons was like and now our new astronaut it's like the average american the room full of reporters are like uh, is, is this a joke no 
no, seriously, is this a joke? No, and no more questions over not whether this is a joke. Everybody, yeah, we'll go down. I yeah. honestly like I that episode. When one. I saw it, I legitimately thought it was some kind of joke because the things like I'm all about diversity in comics, and Marvel has shown us they can do good jobs of that. You have Miles Morales, you have Kamala Khan, you have great characters like that that express diversity and take big heroes and turn them into these new diverse ones with new stories, but. If they were going to give us something new and fresh, I would have loved to have seen some kind of per like 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 I don't want to see a character named Save Space. That's just that's 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 like trying to force diversity down my throat. That's trying like like this give a character super try hard. I would love to see a non-binary character, but don't make it. Is it Snowflake? That's the non-binary one. I don't care. I can't tell the difference between yeah, them. I don't like, know. It doesn't matter. Who gives a fuck? Why would you just say that, that all non-binary live? people look alike? Possibly. I mean, Possibly. that's just the, the point. Is it's just like it, you can't shove and diversity it's like, it's, it's down. Inconsistent, and it's like that. sometimes the coloring is inconsistent. Like you know, one like time like you know trailblazer will be drawn white and in the next scene she's like you know dark skinned it's like I'm, and i'm like I, 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 I just am i missing something and then be negative like who is just like yeah, it's like i think he's supposed to be anemic or something because she's like you know got a blood transfusion from morbius i guess that is and then of course there's screen time who got the powers of the internet from his grandfather's experimental internet gas God. Yeah, of course. I, I, you know a I, lot. I'm trying we know so a lot. hard to like. It's like, it's like I'm thinking, is this a <laughs> joke? But the thing is, the marketing onslaught of it, it, it did circulate around and it became a meme unto itself. And so it's like, any press is good press. I'm gonna That's buy true. it. That's true. I'm tempted Even if to you just feel like you're making jokes about it. It's yeah. like, well, people are making like, I mean, sometimes people will be like. You know, people are like, ha, I bought your I bought your stupid comic and uh, I set it on fire and made a video about it. What are you gonna do now? People are like, You bought it. Yeah. yeah. It's it's like, doesn't like, matter now. You paid the money, you paid I don't you see how a boycott works. It's like you vote with cash. If you don't like it, then don't buy it. But I'm exactly. just saying for people, just you know, buy comics in whatever form. You can go to you know, your used bookstores, you can buy them online. I mean, I don't like to use the big a word but you can even shop online oh i don't think they're doing anything except for non-essential first essential services but you know i just want people to read comics and enjoy them and i say this as a guy who's done editorial who's done comic writing and you know like i even had like this snuck under the radar i think i got america i I conducted america's last comic book convention right before COVID hit oh man Mm, which one uh sandy comic fest Okay. Yeah, San Diego and Comic Fest. It was, you know, phenomenal, and that people like, you know, you know, we bumped elbows, we sparked instead, and so it was like, you know, a limit on shaking hands and that sort of thing. I mean, right? It's just San Diego had no outbreaks of COVID or anything. In fact, like, you know, San Diego only discovered its first case like I think three days after the event had concluded. You know, we were still cautious with everything, and you know, I fortunately have the luxury of my father being the 30 year medical director of the city of San Diego. So he could, you know, come forward and, you know, ease people's, you know, concerns and nobody got sick and we didn't have any reported cases, not even con crud after, after the event hit. And so things were good, but like, you know, it's like, had I scheduled comic fest one week later, 
regrettably, we probably would have had to cancel, but things yeah. weren't off without a hitch. We had great programming, great things. You know, we are guest of honor. Bill Sienkiewicz was so wonderful. And it's like, oh, we had nice. a convention with an art god as our guest of honor. And then afterwards, it's just, it just sucks because the whole comic book vibe, it just threw off everyone. Emerald City had to cancel. Yeah, yeah. Wonderfawn had to push back, and yeah. and like all these other events. And you know, for my video game job at Crytivo, it's like I did so much work for game developer conference. What's gonna like, happen so to Stompy? Yeah, what is gonna happen to Stomp? I've told. Oh, I, I, I keep. I keep. I keep true to my promises. Hold up. Hold up. Hold up. Yeah, you said Stompy was gonna be a guest, so he's gonna go grab Stompy in a second. This will be a a plug for awesome. uh something Matt's working on with the company called Cryto. Here we go. And Matt is holding up a picture of Stompy. This is my Stompy picture. Oh. It's drawn by Scott Shaw, who you might know Scott oh. Shaw's, uh, you know, he's one of the world's, you know, most accomplished cartoonists. He's a wonderful guy. He was the original artist of the Sonic the Hedgehog comic. He created the Burger King Kids Club. He spent nice. 10 years as the uh, art director of... Um, the Pebbles and Fruity Pebbles commercials. So he gave a generation of kids diabetes with all this stuff. He's pretty much yes. like the most well-renowned Flintstones artist. And you know, he worked on Ed Grimley. He worked on Camp Candy. He worked on Muppet Bees. You know, he was one of the you know founding fathers of Comic-Con. And he drew Stompy for me. And you can see Stompy you know, stomping his way through the flowers. And so Stompy is going to be one of the uh, characters... Um, assists in uh say re-adventure the upcoming game from Crytivo, and i've you know been very proud to work on that nice. i'll have links in the show description about all of that for you guys so you can take a look at what stomping yes. looks like and learn more about yeah so uh, we will be coming out around uh q4 2020 uh, i think it's going to be on you know it's going to be you can get it on steam you can get it on pc you can get it on right. mac uh it's going to be on nintendo switch uh microsoft and playstation if everything goes well for the dev kits yes Yes. Cool. So it'll be on yeah. everything. So I want to go into my personal thoughts and then have Kyle give his personal thoughts about where we feel the comic book industry is going this way. And with me, I would love to continue to see paper comics. I would love to continue to see single issues. But if there's not going to be very many shops left, if shops unfortunately are going to have to shut down because of financial reasons, because of the economic strain, because of COVID, I don't think we're going to see physical copies of comics, maybe paperbacks, maybe trades, that sort of thing where you can buy them online through distributors or maybe buy them from like a Barnes and Nobles or something like that. But I don't know if the single comic book issue. Yeah. Yeah, but it's the thing, too, is Barnes & Noble is still going to be around. Like, what's going to happen to actual books? But my thoughts, so you have DC Universe, the streaming service that most people know it because of the shows on there, the Harley Quinn show, Titans, things like that. But every single comic DC has ever made is available digitally on that streaming service. Marvel has their own service. I believe it's Marvel Unlimited, where you can watch or you can read, I'm sorry, every single issue of any comic that's been mm -hmm. released. And my vision from what I say, comic books are still going to survive. We're still going to get the great stories that we've always wanted. We're still going to have those publishers out there doing it. But I think they're going to be distributed digitally. I think we're going to be sitting on our computers, either clicking through them or we're going to be swiping through them on our phones. Maybe they'll make something that's like a Kindle strictly for comic books, that sort of thing. And I think the comic book industry will survive 100%, but it's going to be very different 
after all of this settles down and everything sort of kind of like clears up. That's that's how I feel about it. You know, there's not a whole lot for me to get into. That's just like the 100 straightforward answer and vision I see with the comic book industry. Kyle, what do you what do you think? Um, I feel I feel we're going to see, especially that you mentioned people uh, bypassing Diamond, which I thought was going to happen. Uh, I'm amazed it's happening at a faster race, but I see that being an option and uh, doing like essentially a 500 issue run and purposefully creating a like small run for this for for certain books and create a new market of value uh meanwhile most people will be getting things digitally for sure uh but i feel like there is a chance for it to survive you just do this maybe like thousand issue 500 issue 100 issue run of certain books depending on the book and it'll be like how people collect sneakers essentially the same way the sneaker market works yeah. I guess yeah. So if for anything me, you feel like go ahead, go ahead. Okay, for me, I don't ever think that digital will replace the comic industry and I think it's something that is there to supplement the industry but never uh, a primary thing. I mean, books are meant to be held. They're meant to be collected. Yeah. They're meant to be enjoyed. And I mean, doing that on a screen has a very different feel. Yeah than just that. doing that i mean i'm not opposed to digital i think it is there to you know help you know foster a readership but you know you can buy a book you know and read it on your ipad or something like that but you know a comic convention rolls around like you know what's the creator going to do sign your ipad or something it's like <laughs> this is true you know go to the store grab something that's yeah. like you know oh, he's holding up cage by the way Cage by Gendy That's Turner. an amazing, amazing. It was like what a four-issue limited series. It was series. a run, and I yeah. waited 14 years for this freaking book to come out because I'm such a huge Gendy Tartakovsky fan, and um, it's just like the most amazing yeah. thing because anyone who's like you know seen Gendy's work in Dexter's Lab and Samurai Jack and Primal, I haven't yeah. signed Gendy Tartakovsky Primal poster, but I have not even seen primal yet i should probably you know make the time to watch it these days but like i'm it's just i can't you know it's like uh, this Gendy is an art god and so but anyway going back to what i was saying i think digital should exist it should be there for people but i do not think it will replace the comic industry people still want to have these they want to experience it and comic needs to be in physical media there is always going to be a market for new comics. There's always going to be a market for old comics. There's always going to be this urge to create them, to tell these stories. And because I think comics are the greatest entertainment medium around, and that's why comics will persist. And this is not the first time that the industry has been on the edge of collapse. Just like Will Eisner said, he said he's seen it, he, he saw it a dozen times yeah. in his time. And it always bounces back because comics yeah. are in yeah. So if anything, we could say, because I mean, it is kind of a niche thing, but it's still a bit more mainstream. If anything, it could possibly go back to being more limited, where we will see small 
smaller amounts of issues being made where we might see like don't get me wrong like i love the fact that like x-men was a great example recently how they dropped the new uh x-men lineup and they had so many different spin-off series and so many different ways to read the story but i feel like moving forward we might get less of that we might get more focuses on one particular comic with maybe a couple spin-offs of some major characters i feel like at this point they're gonna want to refine and really focus on like one example like i love the ninja turtle series because it's just like it's been 101 issues of ninja turtles and in between they have very short limited runs like they had shredder goes to hell they had turtles in time which was four issues they did single issues of the uh characters like right now as i'm reading through it they weave in between like there's a casey jones april o'neill splinter a single michelangelo like they weave those other issues slowly into it but they don't have an entire 20 issue run of just Raphael. they don't have an entire 20 issue run of just april like there's the main story, there's a few side ones and that's like I could see that happening, especially with like Spider-Man once again. You have the main Spider-Man series, then you have a few things that may tie in. Maybe you'll get a small limited Venom series, then he pops back in, that sort of thing. Yeah. So do I you mean, guys I think maybe we'd respond more? I definitely do yeah. because uh, there was a thing recently where uh, some publishers did step forward and say like I believe it was the you know heads of Boom Studios and Image actually said that there are too many comics out there, and we can't have, you know, too many and oversaturate the entire industry because there's not going to be shelf space for everything. Not everyone buys everything. If you concentrate things into smaller amounts, and I think that really should be something there. I mean, for me... I've always had this opinion that there are way too many superhero books out there. I mean, you know, if you're doing like 60 superhero books a month... Not everybody will buy them. You'll buy, like, you know, five or six. But I'm saying if you only did ten superhero books a month, everybody would buy ten. You would yeah. actually make more sales and think because it'd be easier to digest the entire thing because the whole thing is trying to take all that in. It's it's really overwhelming. And I'm a guy who ends up getting so backed up on stacks and stuff. And it's like I've been cleaning my apartment for past two weeks. I keep finding all these unread books and more unread books and more unread books. I'm like, God, there's more? There's more, and yeah. I don't feel comfortable giving away a book until I've read it. And so I have to like you know, take the odd time to my crazy brain to sit down and read a book without like you know. And it's hard for me to turn off my phone on computer and disconnect from reality just to get into a book because it was easier to do when I was younger. But now it's just became I became a guy that became so busy with everything that he was doing in life. It is hard for me to just fixate on that comic now. But you know, it's something I got to do. It's yeah. The relax and unwind is a hard thing to do when you become a workaholic. Yeah, I can feel that. I think me, so this is something I would like to see the comic industry do once this settles down, we do it. And these events held so much more meaning when they had their original purpose. But a great example is DC when they had their crisis. They had the different crisis events that happened. The original crisis when it happened was to essentially merge everything into one because there were so many different Batman series to follow, so many different Superman series to follow, all of these things. They had the crisis. You have them get killed off. You have different things happen. Now it's like there's one Batman series and there's one Superman series and there's one this series. Then as the years pass, all of a sudden they're like, we're going to make another two different Batmans and there's going to be this Superman and there's going to be a Robin series and there's going to be this like – I think we need a big quote-unquote world-ending event that just smashes fucking everything together, starts it back up, and we get those single streamlined series. What do you guys think? They did that with Doomsday Clock, and they fucked that up. And yeah. 
Yeah. Um, they had I mean, I didn't, I didn't read Doomsday Clock, but I mean, I said, you know what? If I do read it, I'm just going to wait for it to get collected in a hardcover. And of course, timing is what I heard is what made the adjustments that things were moving ahead in real time. They didn't synchronize with all this sort of thing. It's like, I think some of these big, every couple of years, DC will do one of these huge projects that, you know, it's like the end all be all story. It's like, oh, we're going to do Dark Knight 3. We're going to do Sandman Overture. We're going to do uh, this, you know, book drawn by Jim Lee or Gary Frank or this extremely heavy hitter artist. The weakness of it, that something, the problem is like, you know, it sells at the beginning and the announcement is big. But then it hits these deadline problems and just people stop buying it. The problem is people don't want to buy late books. They'll be like, I'll trade weight it. I'll trade weight it. It's like if you're going to – I've always said that if you're going to buy a book in a single issue rather than the trade paperback, the book should be so good in a single issue that you can't wait for what happens next. Yeah, yeah. I feel that, man. I feel that. Yeah, so that's uh, – yeah. That's it. I think we've hit everything we need to hit on the state of the comic book industry. So I want to end this with, let's do, I feel like top five might be too much. So let's do like top three comics that top three comic series right now that we could highly recommend people try and pick up. Obviously they can't go to a store right now. So maybe try and check it out digitally. Maybe a friend has it. I will start this off right now. The first one, and I will constantly preach about this comic until the day I die. It is Gwenpool Strikes Back. I still haven't read limited that. series. Dude, <laughs> you gotta read it. It was a limited series. I think it was four or five issues. And Gwenpool is such an amazing character because she was a real person that got pulled into the comic book universe. And she knows she she knows everything and she knows everyone's origin story, all these great things. And nobody believes her. Everybody's like, what do you mean real world? This is the real world. And she does so many wacky things like fourth wall breaking and stuff. And She's really loved by the fans, but Marvel just kind of has these issues like, where do we really fit her? How do we do it? She had her own series that was ruined great, and they cut off. So what they did was the entire series revolved around the fact, all right, Marvel's trying to get rid of me. The only way I can save myself is if I develop a superpower and become a legitimate superhero. So the whole five series issue is her trying to figure out how to do that. The way it ends is amazing. I don't want to spoil it, but it's really great. Because they give her a superpower, and if Marvel plays their cards correctly, she's actually tied in to one of the bigger series now. I don't want to say which series yet, because this will ruin the ending for it, but a lot of people like the, this series and these, 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 these type of people in the Marvel Universe. So they managed to give her superpowers and connect her to a very well-ongoing group of characters. That's all I'm going to say right there, because it's really good. you got to read it in... I hope they do something with it. And Kyle, you, you, you have to read it out of everybody I know that has to read know, it. I know, I so, know. Uh, spoilers, the new Warriors. Oh, God. Warriors. No, it's not the new Warriors. Thank goodness. Gwenpool would probably slaughter all the new Warriors. But no, So the next series I have to recommend, and my buddy Armando got me into this, is IDW's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It started in 2011. It's still going strong. They just had issue 101. I don't know what's going to happen with issue 102 right now. And it's consistent. It's really good. And the best part about it is, is they took a lot of the different various source material of the Ninja Turtles, and they managed to tell a really good story. In particular, 
the origins of Splinter and Krang are really, 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 really good in this series. And, you know, people always forget this because a lot of people remember Ninja Turtles being really vibrant, really colorful, really wacky, really funny. Like, honestly, the only Turtles movie that got it right was the uh, very first one that dropped. That was actually very dark, very serious, very ruinous to Turtles. So, like, you have Turtles that are actually beating the shit out of people. You have instances where people get killed and you see blood and you see violence. Like, there's times where, like, Splinter's like, no, we can't kill this person. That's not the way. Like, they don't sugarcoat it. It doesn't feel wacky. It doesn't feel wild. Michelangelo is still a funny party dude, but he doesn't seem like a wild, outlandish cartoon character. It's very grounded, if anything. And I think it's a great series. I highly recommend you guys read that. And then... For my third one, uh, honestly, this is a series that I wish I stuck with, and I didn't, and I don't know if it's still ongoing, but it's Spider-Man Deadpool. If you get a chance to read Spider-Man Deadpool, I think it's an amazing story. It's really funny. I think so. There's still a lot of debate as to whether it's connected to the main canon or if it's off in its own thing. But a uh, fun fact, if you've played the Spider-Man PS4 game, that uh, Black Widow suit, the dark suit that Black Cat gives them, that debuted in Spider-Man and Deadpool. And there is no story behind it. Spider-Man just wears it for one entire comic issue. It looks awesome. It looks amazing. Nothing is ever said about it afterwards. They never reference how he got it, why he wore it. You never see it again, which I thought was just hilarious and wild. And the cool thing about the series is as it goes along, Spider-Man's influencing Deadpool to become a better person. Deadpool is influencing Spider-Man to become more angry and savage. And as the series progresses, you see two different sides of these characters that you don't normally see. And I think it's just, it's really good. It's really fun. It's really out there. And honestly, I mean, everybody loves Spider-Man and Deadpool. Everybody ships the shit out of them. And while they don't get shipped in there, there's definitely some hilarious moments that shippers will enjoy in that comic book series. But yeah, top three series I can recommend right now. Gwenpool Strikes Back, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles by IDW, and Spider-Man Deadpool. Kyle, what about you? Uh, I guess I will recommend uh, top three, like, if you want to read right now. Of course, my number one is going to be House of X, Powers of X. Go, get on that. See the X Men Revolution happen, even if you don't even continue with Don of X. Read I, have X of X. I haven't read it yet. You have the hardcover? I have every uh, single issue. I want to get the hardcover whenever I, I get it. I'm trying to avoid spoilers like mad, so don't say anything about it. I haven't done it. Like, everyone just says, it will blow your mind. It will blow your mind. It's like, okay, I, I guess I'll finally just uh, go get the print. It's like in ninth printings and still sold out everywhere. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. And so it's like, screw it. I'll, I'll just wait for the hardcover. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, highly recommend right now. Uh, definitely a change to what, you, what you're what used to when it comes to X-Men. Uh, it's great what Hickman's doing, what Jonathan Hickman's doing. Uh, if you haven't read... Uh, if you haven't read Jonathan Hickman's Fantastic Four, uh, go read that. His Fantastic Four run is, like, phenomenal... Um, I have all the hardcovers of uh, Fantastic Four and Future Foundation. I've got all of the Future Foundation. Omnibus. Yeah, yeah. yeah like the omnibus. Awesome. You got the omnibus. Oh, that's amazing. I would love to have that omnibus. Oh, no. Here, uh, audio listeners. I have <laughs> oh, shoot, that is insane. Jesus Christ! Are you serious with this? 
Audio listeners, I highly recommend Sorry. you watch the video version. I, I, I want to I talk and communicate with you folks, but I'm at, a, I'm at, a, I'm at awe at what I'm seeing. And look, here's Ben Riley. And Ben Riley. Hey. Um, but yeah, so um, if you haven't read uh, Jonathan Hickman's Fantastic Four run, that thing is phenomenal. That's what made me like a Jonathan Hickman fan. So once I found out he was doing House and Powers of X, I was in it. Uh, from the beginning, and uh, he didn't—he didn't let me down. He didn't let me down. Nice. Um, That's and one. like, yeah, like I said, if you don't, uh, you don't have to continue X uh, reading X Men on Dawn of X after that. But if you do, my next one is going to be X Force, the current run of X Force. Uh, highly recommended. It, it's it's definitely reminiscent of old school X Force. Very brutal. Lots of body horror. Lots of limbs. Lots of lots of body parts. Lots of just like a lot of gruesomeness happening. A lot of uh, a lot of things have occurring. Because again, like in this situation, we're getting a uh, essentially you you've always X Force has always been this kind of like covert operation uh for the x-men but in the new series and their situation with uh with what's occurring in dawn of x it's solidified that they're pretty much a cia agency more or less now x-force they solidified this them as this task this task force which is interesting but it's cool it's great to see what's going on behind the scenes of x-men because then you could pair it with something like x-men uh, uh you could pair x x-force with x-men which is great seeing like seeing what's going on uh, in front of the uh kind of like behind uh what what the X-Men are showing to the world, which is this, like, we're nice, we're happy, we're friendly. And then you get this X-Force, which is, like, plotting and scheming behind the scenes, like, intelligence gathering and everything, like, just being no different than any other mutant or any other nation in, in the world, which is interesting. It's fascinating watching those things, uh, kind of kind of that dichotomy between... Uh, between what they're doing, between good and evil, which is interesting. Uh, so X-Force is my next recommendation. And then for my third recommendation, hmm, what should I go for? I think I am going to go for Power Pack. Everyone go read Power Pack. No, I'm just kidding. Don't read that. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> you never read Power Pack? No. Power Pack is awesome. I actually do read. I do recommend Power Pack. It's like a, it's a Franklin Richards and a, his ragtag group of uh, friends. Just to, it's pretty cool. It was like pre-Future Foundation, uh, a book kind of, kind of like a children, children uh, group, I guess you could say. Uh, but no, that isn't my recommendation. Uh, <laughs> uh, Still go read it, but uh, go read uh, Kyle Higgins' uh, Power Rangers. It's awesome. Yeah. It's a good run. I dig that run. Um, if you're a big Power Rangers fan, you'll love you'll love all the canon that that he's kind of building over there uh, with Power Rangers. So go read that Shattered Grid, all all of that. That's that, that run is uh, and the artwork is amazing, which sucks because I cannot think of the artist right now. That's wild. Uh, There's a Power Ranger Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle crossover happening right now too. Yeah, yeah. I, 
Um, but yeah, I really dig that. I dig that run, and it really uh, broadens the Power Ranger world. It's not just this like Toei animation or Toei pictures, like Japanese cartoon that's been dubbed into this amazing monstrosity. <laughs> it's actually, it actually has story and canon, and uh, that's awesome. And pretty good art. So yeah, go check that out. Top right there. All right, man. Appreciate it. Matt, what about you? You get to end this. What are your three recommended comics right now? Here we go. Recommended comics right now. I think the best comic that you can buy right now, there's an image book going on called Olympia. It's one that was just, hmm, let me check this out. And I was like, this is so damn good. Uh, Olympia is basically this story about a kid uh, living in Olympia, Washington, who reads this comic book about sort of like a Thor-like character that lives in this sort of Jack Kirby world that goes up against a guy that is very reminiscent of Loki. And then he's just, you know, obsessed with it. He wants all the rare issues. And it's like, wow, I love this character. How come nobody reads this comic? And then he hears something out in the woods. And lo and behold, it's the god from this comic. It's the, like... The, the, the god from Olympia, from his comic, is there, and he's like, wake up, and it's like, you have to get, it's like, I need, I have been hurt in my battle and sent to your world, and it's like, I'll get, you know, I'll get you back in, here, I found this in my, uh, in my parents' closet, hmm, yes, it makes me feel so wonderful, hmm, I'll take some more, what do you call this, Vicodin? It's wonderful, I'll take it, and, and it's just this little boy interacting with this comic god, and then it's like, but how can you exist in my world? It's like, uh, wait, I know that the creator of your comic doesn't li- lives in the next town over, and we should go to meet. And you find the creator of the comic, who is of course depressed and like near suicidal, alcoholic, because his comic doesn't sell. And people say you're wasting your life on this book. And now it's like the three of them have to come together to save the world from Loki. Right. And it's hilarious. It's well done, and it's like so awesome it literally feels like a steven spielberg movie from the 80s just brought into comic form and it it is a true form very good story and i highly recommend that people check out olympia from image comics that's my number one favorite book right now um number two favorite book is berserker unbound by jeff lemire and mike deodato i think it just came out in a hardcover from uh, dark horse comics it basically it's like, you know, about a year or two ago, uh, Marvel acquired the Conan the Barbarian license that mm-hmm. Dark Horse had previously held for about 20 years. And, of course, Dark Horse is without Conan the Barbarian now, so they're like, well, let's make our own Conan. And so hmm. there's this guy known as the Berserker, and, of course, he's drawn by Mike Deodato, and Mike Deodato is I'm just like a huge fan of his artwork. It takes the story of a... Conan the Barbarian type that is transported from this sword and sorcery world into modern-day New York City where he meets this hobo who kind of shows him around. They don't speak the same language or anything, but this wizard sends his guys after him. It's like, wow, my two favorite books have a very similar plot about them. But the thing is, I like how ridiculous they get and how crazy this is to see this, like, you know, big berserker with this huge sword going around. He's like, and he just wants to, like, you know, he's like, hey, you going to pay for that? And he just, like, takes out this, like, gold medallion. He's like, oh. and just seeing people's I- interaction with these kind of characters is really cool to me. And then 
Oh, Other wow. books that I love. Um, the artwork's maybe, amazing on this. I'm looking yeah. at it right now. Phenomenal. So, um, other ones I'm really enjoying. Uh, the Amazing Spider-Man by Nick Spencer. It's so nice to be in love with Spider-Man again. Run, Nick huh? Spencer yeah. uh, and Otley have brought such a great vibe back into uh, to Spider-Man. It's just so funny and so entertaining. And it's just like the Spider-Man books that I've wanted for the past decade. I <laughs> um, know that's... I know that's th- Three, but I'm fucking. I'm gonna keep going. Superman smashes the clan, uh, by Jin Yang and Hirohuru. It's okay. it's amazing. This is the best DC book of the past decade. It's an all ages book that takes place in 1946, a year after uh, World War II has ended, about um, a Chinese family moving from uh, Chinatown into Central Metropolis, and uh, the Ku Klux Klan doesn't really like uh, them moving in, and so this little uh, this little girl. Teams up with Superman to uh, stop the oppression from, uh, you know, from the KKK coming in, and it's nice. really, it's wonderful. It's you definitely check that out. Um, screw it, I'm gonna keep going. Farmhand by Rob Guillory. Give me the last one, uh, Matt. Last one. Rob Farmhand by Rob by Rob Guillory. It's like it's, I don't know if it's Guillory or Guillory. I've never actually asked him if, how it's pronounced. If it's got the uh, LL, but um, it's like. But it's just, uh, if you know Rob's work on Chu, this one very much feels like, very similar to Chu, about a guy who gets this miracle plant that can regrow human tissue. And, you know, once it's it, very much in the way that stem cells do. And so once it's uh, implanted into a human body, these people become known as transplants. And they get like, oh, this miracle cure. But then you learn that things aren't always as they seem once you've been given this miracle cure and uh it's it it, it heats up and it gets pretty crazy so yeah i like stories that you know end up going pretty crazy and so that's yeah those are going to be my top five nice thank you for those recommendations matt we really appreciate them um this has been an episode about comic books and the state of the comic book industry. Our guest was Matt Dunford, the Dunt. Thank you for being on board with this. Had a lot of fun having you on here. Very informative. You know your comics really well. Matt, where can the yeah. fine people find you? Give us a plug. Um, find me on Facebook at Matt Dunford, M-A-T-T-D-U-N-F-O-R-D, or on Twitter. I'm not really there very often. My Twitter gets hacked by the porn bots all the time. Uh, or on Instagram, just at Matt Dunford, M-A-T-T-D-U-N-F-O-R-D. I'm easy to find. Um, I'm easy to find on Facebook when I'm not getting suspended for a month, uh, for... <laughs> For being a hater, that so. was a fun period of time. We had no Dunford, we had no Matt Dunford, and we had no Matthew Dunford. His backup account managed to oh, get. Yeah, they suspended my backup account too, just because I said. How the dare they? Facebook doesn't like men are scum. Yeah, men there's a scum. wild thing going on right now on Instagram and Facebook, where apparently if you call dudes out, you get banned or your post deleted. But yes, that is where Not you can don't find call the Dunford. Right, dude, that makes it even worse. <gasps> oh man oh man this is a wild time that that's but yeah that's matt that's where you can find him kyle what about you man everybody knows you but we always got to do our plug yeah man. uh kyle v on instagram valenzuela.photo on instagram uh subscribe to podcast of x as well go listen to us talk about x-men all right, and I am Chris, also known as Tofu Waifu. You can find me YouTube, Tofu Waifu, 
Productions, Instagram, Tofu Waifu Photography. And if you want to see some wacky shit posting and wild stuff, tofu.waifu on Instagram. This has been the Chris and Kyle podcast. I like the names. Yeah, it's, it's new and simple. In the comments, let us know what you think about the new title. Let us know your first comic book. Let us know your favorite comic books. But most of all, let us know what you think is going to happen to the comic book industry. Oh, and the most important thing. Leave us a review if you can do that, be it iTunes, Spotify, whatever allows you to. Like, share, subscribe. If it's YouTube, drop a comment as well. We really mean it. Yeah, we'll be back. We're going to be doing a lot of great things in quarantine for y'all. But, Matt, once again, thank you so much for being on this. We really appreciate you. Thank it was you. a good time. Thank there. you for uh, help from rescuing me for the, from the crazy for an hour and a half. I'm happy. There we go, I'm man. Happy. Glad we were able to do that for you, brother. All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. See y'all. See ya. Talk to you later.